Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 33, The Zero-G Workout. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So on this podcast, we bring in the experts, NASA scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know the coolest information about what's going on right here at NASA. So today we're talking about how zero-G affects the human body and what we can do about it. So working on this very problem is Dr. Andrea Hansen, who's the International Space Station Exercise Countermeasures Operations Ops Lead. Whew. Oh, there's more. Within Human Physiology Performance Protection and Operations Lab. There it is. She's got a big title and a big job here at the Johnson Space Center. So basically, bad stuff can happen to the human body when astronauts are in space for a long time, and countermeasures are just a way to prevent that stuff from happening. Of course, I had to ask her for some exercise tips, but more importantly, she described what happens to the human body in zero gravity, what NASA is doing about it, and how we can use this knowledge to go deeper into space. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Dr. Andrea Hansen. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light search for the red. There she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Andrea, thanks so much for coming on today to uh, talk about exercise physiology on the space station. I was really excited to talk about this specific topic personally because exercise is kind of, I, I personally like exercising and take a lot of the things that I do in the gym based off of what is being done in space. So thank you again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so one of the big problems that we are facing and the, basically what you are addressing is microgravity does not agree with the human body when it's up there for a long time, right? So, so what's going on there? Yeah, so the body responds pretty immediately to living in the microgravity environment through going through a series of adaptations to adapt to this new sensation of free float. And those adaptations happen pretty immediately. Upon getting into outer space, that you experience fluid shifts, and that might cause like a stuffy head sensation and maybe even some slight motion sickness in the first day or two. But the spine starts to elongate, um, and immediately all those little mechanical sensors that tell your body it needs to keep strong to even stand up straight, go up and down stairs, sit in a chair and stand up again, they start to turn off. And that's where we start to see the muscle strength losses and bone atrophy that we know our astronauts can experience, even at, as soon as two weeks in space. Wow. Okay. So some of this is happening immediately. Some of this, as soon as you get up there, all of these, like what's, what's happening immediately and then what is gradually happening over time? Yeah. So immediately astronauts will start to experience those fluid shifts. Oh, that's the first thing. Okay. And then, uh, so then the, I think the Equilibrium, basically. Your equilibrium is one of the first things that shuts off, too, right? It, it sure is. Yeah. And you lose that sense of balance because, well, there's nowhere to fall in microgravity. <laughs> okay, so then basically what... How is microgravity... Basically, how what is causing this problem, this... this um, the reason why you are losing muscle and bones. Is it is it a little bit because you're not really using it as much? That's exactly it. It's that principle, if you don't use it, you lose it. And you know, being an enthusiast at the gym, <laughs> that if you stop a regular exercise program, even for a week or two, it can get 
be really hard to get back into the gym. Oh, that is the worst part about going to the gym is is if you t- take that break, it's really hard to get back into it. It sure is. And not only is it hard to get back into it, but you do notice some immediate losses in strength and maybe aerobic fitness if you if you do take those breaks. So it's kind of the same thing. When you go into outer space, you just don't have those regular stressors on the body that you do living in the 1G environment. And again, the body responds to that really quickly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And... Um, Basically, the longer you're in space, the more it affects you, right? It sure does. And so we have to develop a series of what we call countermeasures Mm -hmm. to fight against this sensation of not needing to maintain muscle strength or bone health to make sure that when our astronauts come back to Earth, they're in good shape to resume normal daily life again. And that's basically where you come in, right? This is the countermeasures that you're talking about. We have this issue. There is this idea that your muscles are are degrading, your bones are not as healthy, right? You're starting to see that loss within those uh, that parts of your body. So a countermeasure is basically a way to prevent that. So what are some of the countermeasures we're seeing? Yeah, great question. Uh, We use exercise as kind of the foundational countermeasure to a lot of those adaptations that the body goes through. And right now we have a really robust gym on the space station. We're pretty lucky. We have a treadmill, we have a exercise bike, and we have a really neat device we call the Advanced Resistive Exercise Device, or the ARED, and that's for strength training. Okay. So how does that work? How... The, how do you lift weights in a microgravity environment? Yeah, that, It's almost a trick <laughs> question, isn't it? Because <laughs> if you were to bring a 50-pound dumbbell up into space, of course, it wouldn't weigh anything. It'd be so easy. <laughs> It'd be so easy. It'd be too easy, and it wouldn't stress the body in a meaningful way to help you retain that strength. Yeah. So essentially, the engineers that developed this piece of equipment had to get really creative. Okay, so then how does it work? How does how does ARED work? Yeah, ARED's a really sophisticated piece of exercise equipment. Unlike a lot of the free weights you have here in the gym, we had to design a way to impart a mechanical influence on the body. And we did that through a real creative mechanism using vacuum cylinders and kind of a cantilever device. You can think of it as a teeter-totter that moves along a fulcrum so that you can adjust the load from zero up to 600 pounds of resistance load. Okay, so it's not just laying on the side of the space station. Now there's this this sort of balance where if you're pushing off something, I'm imagining if you have like a let's say a, a bar, like a like a bench press bar, and then you have the actual bench that you're laying on, you have this uh, Basically, when you're pushing up, that bar is going up, but then you're also kind of going the other way because it's on this fulcrum, right? Uh, Yeah, I think you've got this visualization pretty accurate. Essentially, when you're exercising on ARED, you're kind of in a clamshell or in between a clothespin Hmm. where you're pushing off against a platform and up against an exercise bar. So whether you're standing and you have that exercise bar on your shoulders or you've installed the bench attachment and you can do bench presses, ARED allows one to conduct over 45 different types of exercises. All right. So that means you can kind of adjust it. You can kind of attach, I guess, I don't know, pulleys or or do more of a, a squat kind of setup. Exactly that. Okay. ARED can be used for those full functional st- strength training exercises or more of those targeted like bicep curls or ab adduction type exercises. Okay. So how long does it take to kind of switch it up then? It 
is pretty easy to manipulate the harder itself to change it from, say, a squat exercise and just a couple minutes to pull out the bench, click that into place, and then do something like a bench press exercises. So it happens pretty, pretty rapidly. Nice. How long during the day do they actually take out for exercise? Yeah, and this is where it really highlights the importance of exercise. Astronauts are scheduled two and a half hours, six days a week for exercise time. And that's pretty significant when you consider crew time is one of our most valuable commodities. Now, they're not, you know, breathing hard that entire two and a half hours, six days a week. But what that allows them is time to get the A-RED into the configuration they need it to and go through a full, you know, good strength training uh, exercise program every day. And then also get some cardio fitness in too. Whether they're spending that on the treadmill or the exercise bike, um, collectively, they have that time to, you know, get changed into their workout gear, do their exercises, and then a little time to recover and clean up as well. Okay, so that two and a half hours is not just, all right, go and then run for two and a half hours or, or do like, you know, a resistive exercise for two and a half hours. This is including the entire thing. Setup, changing, uh, get, getting the A-RED situated in different configurations, all of the above, two and a half hours, that's your time. That's right. Okay. So you, we kind of touched on it a little bit, is the, the advanced resistive exercise device is one component. It's got the vacuum cylinders, s- simulates weightlifting. You need this resistive exercise to prevent, is it, is it muscle and bone loss? Is that what you're doing on that machine? It sure is. Yeah, each of the exercise devices kind of has its own unique um, training behind it. And so the A-RED, the strength training, of course, is good for muscles and and bone health, bone quality. Treadmill, you get that important mechanical stimulus every step of the way. So that's great for bones and cardiovascular fitness. And of course, the cycle ergometer, we call it the CVIS, the cycle ergometer with vibration isolation system is really good for cardiovascular training as well. Okay. So you get a little bit of that impact from the treadmill and the cardio stuff from the the stationary bicycle. Excellent. So If you're running on the treadmill, how do you stay on? (laughs) (laughs) That is another great question. Um, Yeah, we need a special harness, actually, to pull the astronauts down to the surface of the treadmill. So we've created a harness kind of copying the, the... technique or design of a backpacker's harness where you can adjust the loads from the shoulders to the hip and then that is all held down to the surface of the treadmill through a series of bungee attachments and so you can actually adjust the load very ideally we would create a 1g environment and have them run with the full load that their body would be imparting during a running protocol however you can imagine that can get pretty uncomfortable when all of that load is being is forcing you down through the shoulders and the hips even if you can adjust that to distribute the load. So typically astronauts are running between 70 to even 90% of their full body weight towards the end of a mission. And some of them do get up and recreate that full body weight loading on the treadmill. But it's a, a balance between comfort and the ability to get a really good workout in. I see. So that basically getting it down below 1G, getting to that 70%, whatever, just makes the harness a little bit more comfortable. Because ultimately you have this impact sensation where you're going up and down, you get the harness on you. So yeah, I could see how that can bother you. Is it made out of metal, the harness? No, the the harness itself is actually fairly comfortable. It has some nice padding on it. It has um, some lumbar support. It has padding around the hips where you might experience some of those hot spots. And it's quite adjustable. Um, But there are, uh, we do use metal clips that attach to the bungee, to the harness, and then ultimately to the treadmill. I see. What kind of exercises are they doing on the treadmill? Are they basically doing 
like long jogs or are they maybe doing uh, high intensity kind of sprinting? Are they are they are they doing something a little bit more, I guess, intense, but interval training? Another great question, and it's really a combination of both of those. I think for anyone engaging in a really regular exercise program, having the variety in exercise prescriptions is really important and really key to maintaining that motivation to come back and do it again every day. And so you will see the astronauts running for long durations at a time. We've had a few astronauts who've even conducted marathons in space, (laughs) which is pretty great. Sunny Williams, of course, has run. Uh, she ran the Boston Marathon. Tim Peake recently run the, ran the London Marathon up there, and so those were, of course, those long, continuous runs. But more regularly, we are seeing the astronauts engaging in those high-intensity training protocols. And so, on the treadmill, that might mean four-minute intervals with four-minute breaks, or six thirty-second sprint intervals with breaks in between as well. And that really stresses the heart and gets you up in that ninety percent maximum heart rate range, which is really effective at maintaining cardiovascular health, even during those short durations of exercise. Is it proven to be more or more or less effective? Or is, is, there, a, is there a reason to do to do this interval sort of training? There is a really good reason, especially in space, and that's a time-saving trade for sure. And so again, it's advantageous uh, to conduct both continuous running and that interval training because it stresses the body in different ways, all of which are really important. Um, But it has been really effective to engage in these high-intensity protocols. We find that it can save a little bit of time in your day-to-day exercise (laughs) uh, time and still able to maintain health. So you can kind of shave off that two and a half hours then if you were doing the the interval training, the high intensity kind of exercises then, right? Ultimately, yeah. That, and that's kind of what we're looking at, especially for these um, extended long duration missions where, again, it can be stressing on the body to engage in long duration uh, exercise every single day. So um, we're looking at all of those trades that can be made to really have offer the crew uh, a good mix of effective workouts, but something that's going to make them, again, want to stay motivated and adhere to their exercise protocol as well. So are you saying that it is sustainable? Is it Can an astronaut actually keep up with high-intensity interval exercise every day? <laughs> well, they certainly can keep up with high-intensity exercise. And again, it's oh, not wow. every day, but it's, um, say, three days a week oh, instead see. of the full six days a week. It's certainly sustainable. And we've conducted a couple of studies in the last couple of years, both here on the ground using the bed rest analog and repeated that in space to demonstrate that it was tolerable to maintain these higher-intensity exercise protocols. So you talked a little bit about variety and how that kind of helps with switching it up, getting the body to maximize its performance by having, uh, I guess, by switching up the routines that you do. Is there a consistent schedule for exercise every day? Like, do they do it at the same time? Do they do the same routine? Is there like a weekly thing? Yeah, well, getting that full two and a half hours of time in is pretty tricky for the schedulers. Oh, yeah. One really interesting thing we know about exercise is that the body actually needs rest periods. And so it's fairly important to separate your strength training workouts from your aerobic workouts to give the body the rest it needs to 
so that you can stimulate it all over again. And it really optimizes, especially for bone health, the ability for your bones to respond to that secondary workout for the day. So when possible, uh, we do try to break up those workouts. But of course, when it comes to going to the gym, there's <laughs> also a matter of efficiency and getting it all in at once. So it's a trade um, in the ops teams and schedulers work really hard to find that balance that works both for the crew and for the daily schedule. Yeah, that's something I actually try to do is uh, basically I've, I've learned that you can't, you shouldn't really do the same resistive exercise like two days in a row. So if you're going to do like bicep curls, the next day you should probably do something else. Maybe switch it to a leg day or maybe switch it to a cardio day. But basically doing it that two days in, the, in a row, you're right, does not provide the body the sort of recovery time it needs. Exactly. And the astronauts are really lucky to work with essentially personal trainers. We call them the astronaut strength conditioning and rehabilitation specialists or their ACERs who are taking a really close look at those exercise protocols and making sure that they're optimizing them day in and day out for the astronauts. Okay. So how often do the ACERs work with the astronauts then? Is this a daily thing? It's a daily thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. They send up uh, protocols and prescriptions uh, every day. They receive feedback. They can sometimes have a conference with them. They check in on a regular basis to make sure the crew are comfortable with the exercise hardware. If they have any concerns, um, maybe they know that they have a, a really packed schedule coming up for a couple of days and they need to make some trades in their exercise workout to make sure that they have the full uh, mental uh, aptitude and uh, in are prepared to take on the otherwise stressful schedule and balance that with use of exercise. So it sounds like the basically it's kind of personalized it sounds like it kind of varies between crew member that maybe this crew member may need a little bit more of x y and z whereas this one needs a little bit more abc that's exactly it it's a very individualized um, and it's important that those trainers know their crew members really well so that they can have a real honest conversation over how to maximize their time working out so do the acers these these trainers work with the astronauts before and after spaceflight to kind of understand them yeah they sure do they spend a year or more training and helping each crew member prepare for their flight work with them day in and day out when they're on space station and then spend some good time with them once they get back to earth to make sure that they're healthy and fit and able to again jump into their regular ground based exercise protocols or just that day-to-day -day activity like riding a bike playing with their kids you know going to the grocery store and making sure they're not at risk due to muscle fatigue or bone weakness that's right because there's a there's a recover period whenever they whenever they land right that's not like because you're again your body is now adjusting to mm -hmm. the regular earth gravity and so you got to go through this period but from what I understand the astronauts are right back into it right they are starting to exercise almost a couple days or maybe even the same day what's that what's it look like after they land yeah, just like when you get into space, your body responds very rapidly to that microgravity environment. When you come back to Earth, it takes a couple of days for your body to get used to that again. Yeah. And that balance component we talked about early on, that's one of the... the senses that is disturbed for a little longer than the others. So even if we did a really great job of implementing exercise protocols in space, um, they maintain their muscle strength, they maintain their bone quality. Upon coming back, we still have to be careful that we're um, engaging them in that regular daily activity in a very metered way so that 
we can make sure that they're used to that they have their balance back and that um, they do feel comfortable with the strength levels they have to resume that normal daily routine. What are you seeing with the astronauts whenever they come back? How how what's the length of time until they're I guess quote unquote back to normal? Well, that's a really good question, and I think that the answer varies for the different systems of the body that you want to talk about. But there, of course, um, most crew are able to get up and, and walk around on their own within a day or two after landing, um, and they are getting back to regular exercise programs at least. Muscle strength, if there were losses that were experienced during their spaceflight mission, can be returned to baseline values within two to six months, depending on, again, the individual and how they adapted both to space and coming back to Earth. But when we look at those long-term turnover systems like our, our skeleton, those can take a little longer to recover. And of course, you have other factors playing into this that include age, um, acti normal activity levels, and again, the stressors of the schedule that astronauts experience upon coming back and needing to fulfill a lot of those post-mission responsibilities. All right, because they basically have this recovery time, but also they need to go back to work, right? So Exactly. They do get right back to work. They have a lot of debriefs. They have they capture all those lessons learned from their space mission. They do a lot of uh, public speaking and sharing their experience, both internally and externally. Um, and they do a lot of travel right after returns. Um, and of course, they, it's important for them to spend time with their families upon coming back as well. So their schedules remain stressed for quite a while after their mission. Wow. So it's it's kind of, uh, they're in high demand, you can say, because they are a recently landed crew member, which means that they are in, they want to go and people want to hear them speak and, and go out to different engagement events. But then also they got to travel for work reasons too, balancing the time with the family, balancing the recovery time. There's a lot that's going on in that after flight time. Absolutely. Um, are you finding that like you said, uh, there are you are monitoring what they're doing. You're basically are, are the acers, the the trainers are monitoring them day to day to see how they're performing. Is there are you tracking to see which types of exercises may be more effective than others? For example, maybe astronauts that are putting a little bit more heavier loads on uh, ARED and, and really pushing themselves for that strength training. Maybe they see a little bit more recovery than others. Yeah, tracking exercise data is something that we take very seriously. And we actually deliver reports every two weeks, both to the flight docs and to the ACERs so that they can track the progress of the exercise prescriptions in a in a way where we can take a step back and, and look at progression over time instead of being wrapped up in that day-to-day -day care. And so we get a lot of great data down from Space Station. Uh, from the treadmill, for example, we know at which speeds they're running. We know what load they're pulling themselves down to that surface with. And we get heart rate data so we can look at the intensity of their exercise. Same with the cycle ergometer. We're looking at at workloads and heart rate on there and distance traveled or simulated traveled, of course. <laughs> and on ARED, um, right now we are tracking manually uh, how what loads are being dialed in and how many repetitions and how many sets are being performed by each crew member. 
The A-RED was originally designed with a force platform and load cells that was going to record the, the loads dialed in and the ground reaction forces experienced during exercise and automatically count the repetitions and record the sets of exercise. Um, we had a mechanical failure when shortly after A-RED was installed. Oh, no. And so we've looked a long time for interim load monitoring solutions. And that's where we introduced a study called the Force Shoes, where we looked at a pair of instrumented sandals essentially that would help record the exercise loads and what that did was give us confidence that the hardware was working consistently and actually delivering the load that was dialed in and reported by the astronauts so that was a big confidence booster that our exercise hardware was in good working order Force shoes was one of the things you actually worked on wasn't yes it? it was very cool so basically it was it was kind of a way to measure and just make sure that the A-RED was indeed giving the load that you were dialing in. It was kind of this this check and balance. But also, did, did it do a little bit of reporting, too? Like, was it, um, were you able to record the measurements, I guess, or the exercise? Yep. The load cells on the instrumented shoes um, allowed us to record that data. We could look at ground reaction forces that allowed us to analyze how weights and our loads were being distributed underfoot. You know, during a regular um, exercise or strength training program, you're always being told, to push through the heels, push through the heels. And yeah. that's exactly the type of form that we're looking to to see the astronauts carry out in flight as well. So we could take a real close look at that data and help them out with a little instruction if necessary or just confirm that they were doing it right. Okay, cool. So it has this... this feedback yep. sort of the the technique <coughs> feedback because making sure and, and you're absolutely right definitely whenever you're doing squats it's definitely on the heels that you want to that you want to have that kind of load so if you're putting a little bit more pressure on i guess the side or the front or whatever the four shoes can tell you that and then you can say hey you need to put a little bit more on that because because ultimately the good technique is what's going to get you the the best results. That's right, and that's why it was really important for us to have that force plate installed and operable. And just recently, we were able to turn it back on, so we're really excited to compare the data from the force shoes to the force plate. And again, it will give us that confidence that it's in good working order, or that we can only utilize data from one load sensor or the other. So we've been doing exercise in the space station for quite some time now and have a lot of different astronauts that have gone on, done a lot of different exercises, and we have all of this data. Can we say that we have enough data to say, yes, we are ready to go further out into space for longer and longer missions, even beyond the normal six-month increment that we're seeing on the space station? In fact, we have a little bit of data from uh, the one-year mission, right? Yeah, we sure do. We have a very rich database of exercise data. Um, what's really interesting about that is on Space Station, we've been really lucky to, again, have uh, real capable exercise hardware and a large variety of exercise hardware. So we've always had a treadmill. We've had that cycler ergometer and that really robust strength training device. When we think about going on to exploration missions, the size of our vehicle is going to be much smaller than the International Space Station is today. That's right. And so that's challenged us to come up with new hardware design that's smaller uh, footprint, lower volume, lower power. And we're right now working on designing and testing that exercise hardware to be able to compare how similar it is to the hardware available on Space Station and where we might need to introduce uh, additional components or features in the hardware to make sure that astronauts going to Mars do are able to get a really good workout in. You know, one of the benefits of the space station is how big it is, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the size of, I guess, a five-bedroom house or something. So you can easily fit 
three different exercise equipment. And actually, it's um, th- there's more on there, right? You got the A-Red, you got the T2 treadmill, the Colbert, um, and you also have the uh, Seva stationary bicycle, but then you have the some Russian equipment as well. Yeah, we're really lucky that the, um, in the Russian module, they have their own exercise hardware, so we don't have to share time on all of the, the devices. That would be really a scheduling nightmare. So they do have their own treadmill, their own exercise bike, and then we share the use of A-Red. You know, that's actually one component that I kind of skipped over was you have six astronauts on board the space station that are working out two and a half hours a day. Where do they find the time? <laughs> exactly. It, it is, they have to rotate on the same machines. They sure do. And that that is a huge challenger for the ground-based schedulers to make sure that everyone's getting a fair amount of time on all of the hardware as well. And pretty soon, we're going to be increasing the number of crew from six up to seven, and at some points, even 11 different crew members with our visiting vehicles. So there'll be short durations of time with many crew members aboard, and we're right now looking at what those schedules need to look like and what adjustments need to be made to be sure that everyone gets the exercise time they need. You know, I'm thinking about the constant use of this, especially if you're getting up to that number of crew members, the constant use of these machines, do they require a fair bit of maintenance? They have all have a regular maintenance schedule. Um, every mechanical device is essentially designed to fail at some point. And so that's why it's really important that we're monitoring the health of the hardware on a regular basis. We're looking at cycle counts. We're looking at hours of powered on time. And we stick to a really strict maintenance schedule to make sure that the crew experience as little downtime as possible Mm. due to mechanical failures. So we kind of anticipate when those are going to happen and make sure we replace the pieces that need to to ensure that they can stay up and running. I guess taking that consideration to, I guess, going back to our talk for, uh, before about these vehicles that are going to go further out and perhaps even like, especially Orion, going to be smaller, right? So now you don't have the room for all of this exercise equipment. That's initially where I was going, but you, you have the advanced resistive exercise device, which is actually pretty decently sized, right? right. It would, if you put it in Orion, it would probably take up most of Orion. <laughs> so you can't really do that. Or actually, would it even fit? Yeah, I don't think A-Red would even <laughs> fit it. It, it is a, a very large device. It's very heavy um, and very capable. I think everyone would love to see A-Red being sent to Mars or at least a derivative of it. And that's mm. really what we're trying to do, taking all those lessons learned from that hardware design and the the stresses that has been put on that hardware to make sure that the devices being designed for those smaller exploration vehicles are going to be able to stand up to the the stresses and the continuous use that we expect that they will have. And so right now, while we're being challenged to kind of design, have one piece of hardware that's going to be a cross-training, both aerobic and strength training device, we know that multimodal exercise is important, which is why we have the the cycle, the treadmill, and the strength training device today, but also that robustness and the ability to make sure that we have operational hardware available is almost as important as the the functionality of any one device. That's right. And you kind of have to have a certain set of redundancy too, right? Because you can't, I guess if you're having all these crew members going on a long mission with one machine, gosh, what if that machine breaks, right? You're going to have to... What if it broke? Yeah. So (laughs) are you talking about having multiple machines? We're we're evaluating that right now to be sure that we are providing whatever functional exercise system is going to be required to maintain health during the three years missions. Okay, I see. So actually, selfishly, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was since 
you know, like I said, we were talking about there's so many astronauts on the space station and have exercised this number of times. You have these sample size and you've seen all the different types of exercise and how, how they are performing. Do you have certain tips and tricks that you've taken from the astronauts and taken into your own life for your own exercise? Well, absolutely. I mean, the astronaut corps, they're, they're a very motivated bunch and it's really impressive to see how uh, responsible they are for uh, upkeeping their own physical fitness and health. And so it's really great to watch them as they train pre-mission to uh, see how they're targeting their fitness goals to make sure that they're ready for that flight, uh, that launch, and that long stay in space. And because I am privileged to take a look at the exercise data as it comes down and help write those medical reports, um, I know firsthand how hard they really are working. So it's pretty impressive that they're able to adhere to and maintain those high-intensity exercise protocols over those six-month missions. And in one case, even a whole year of pretty intense exercise um, went on. And so it's it's pretty impressive to me to see how they take it very seriously um, and how they do try to hit those fitness goals as they're prescribed by their trainers. And so one thing I've taken away is I do hire a trainer to help me work out so that I'm making sure that I'm pushing myself and somebody's there to help keep me motivated along the way. That's right. That constant motivation is so key. So key to the success because you're like I was saying before, you know, it's so easy to drop off and stop exercising for a little bit just because of whatever excuse you can come up with. But if you have that sort of accountability and someone tracking you and keeping you on the track to whatever goal it may be, whether it be uh, muscle gaining or weight loss or whatever, you know, you're going towards that goal. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And I think with the astronauts, they, they realize they're also accountable to each other. They need to be there and ready to support each other if it's during an EVA, an extravehicular activity, or helping out with something really important inside this station. Um, even if it's helping each other out upon landing, they know that they all need to be in top physical condition to enable mission success overall. Okay. So actually, I wanted to kind of go back and, and talk more about, are you an exercise physiologist or I think you have an engineering background, right? Yeah, actually, my background is in engineering. Um, I studied both chemical and aerospace engineering, but really focused on the bioastronautics and microgravity sciences aspect of the aerospace engineering discipline, which meant that I focused on the human in the loop rather than the, the vehicle surrounding them. Um, my personal research interests have focused on maintaining musculoskeletal health, whether it's the muscle physiology or the bone health, really understanding what those mechanostats, those mechanical sensing cells in both muscle and bone, what they need to stimulate and make sure that we're maintaining proper health for our bodies. And it was understanding at that cellular level the sensitivities to the mechanical inputs that the body experiences and how that's important for maintaining health when you otherwise take away the gravitational vector that helped me to think more critically about the importance of exercise hardware design and the way that we measure exercise data and then analyze that to to correlate to how the exercise protocols we're giving the astronauts help to maintain health. Okay, so that goes back to that 
force shoes thing, right? That exactly. was one of the things you worked on because it's this device that literally helps exactly what you're saying, that understands the body and how it's responding to the exercise and can improve that. Yeah, I think it's no secret that exercise works <laughs> on the ground and in space, but until we have the data and can break down those numbers to say exactly how it's pinpointing loads on individual joints and activating muscles in a meaningful muscle recruitment pattern, that we're truly going to understand why exercise is so effective in space. It's so true. And I know just from exercising myself, it's, there's a component beyond just the physiological, beyond just your muscles and bones that's really helpful, just basically maximizing the performance of your body. But um, but but basically um, also understanding the mental and emotional aspects that exercise bring you. Is that something that's being investigated on the space station? Absolutely. I think use of exercise time as an emotional reprieve and break from that high stress schedule has been heavily recognized. And another reason that we're able to protect that two and a half hours of time, um, six days a week, and label it as exercise time. It's a good chance for the crew to not only kind of focus on their own individual health, but kind of take a break from the rest of that real demanding schedule. I see. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's it's kind of their, you, I guess you wouldn't call it personal time, but it is sort of a break from from the from the mental stresses of doing hundreds of experiments over the course of your six month increment. That's right. Okay, so actually, I wanted to end with uh, one thing that we touched on earlier, uh, which was this idea of recovering after a space flight. And we talked about how your muscles and bones—you have this period of recovery, and even your balance and how that's going to recover once you get back. It takes it takes some time for your body to get adjusted. I'm thinking about landing on beyond Earth, right? I'm talking about landing on Mars. If you're landing on Mars, what what are we doing to make sure the body will be able to perform once we land on another planetary body? And you're undergoing the same things where your body needs to have this adjustment period. That is such an important question and really important to recognize today when the crew lands back on Earth, they have an entire welcome wagon here ready to help them up and out of the capsule and get them to the medical support tents and make sure that they are safely on their way home. When we land on the surface of Mars, that welcome wagon will not be available. So what we're working on today is creating a real autonomous exercise system so that we can provide the crew with really um, individualized and meaningful fitness goals. And how do we do that? Well, we took a look and evaluated what kinds of tasks are they going to have to do once they land on the surface of Mars. And some of those are pretty obvious. They're going to have to get up and out of the capsule and safely um, to that pre-positioned habitat or equipment that will help them set up base. They're going to have to walk around on this unfamiliar and probably uneven terrain and be careful not to experience unnecessary trips and falls along the way. And if they do, they might have to help an incapacitated crew member. So these are the types of fitness goals that we're looking at in being able to, one, provide a real targeted training numbers so that they can perform these types of tasks once they get to the surface. And then we're going back and asking ourselves, did we design the exercise hardware to help them meet these functional fitness goals? All right. So a lot of work being done, of course, because this is a, this is one of the largest considerations for landing on Mars is once you land on there, 
can you perform? Will you be able to accomplish what you want to accomplish? Absolutely. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for coming on and kind of describing this exercise in space. And I mean, I'm taking some of the lessons learned from from the astronauts and just the idea of, we, we didn't touch on it so much, but uh, the idea of resistive and aerobic exercise, right? The idea of, of mixing it up, making sure you have the resistive exercise on the A-RED and the aerobic uh, with the uh, stationary bicycle and the treadmill, mixing it up and basically staying consistent right now I'm considering a personal trainer I don't there know. you go that might be the key to your success <laughs> all right well Andrea thanks again for coming on thanks so much for having me Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked with Dr. Andrea Hansen about exercise in space and how that's going to help us go further and further into the cosmos. If you want to know more about how the astronauts are exercising in space, go to nasa.gov ISS, or you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, the International Space Station accounts, to see what they're doing right now. Uh, otherwise, you, there are plenty of other NASA podcasts that you can tune into. We have Gravity Assist that uh, Dr. Jim Green talks about the planets in our solar system and some and beyond, ultimately, having great talks with some cool people like Andy Weir just recently. And uh, also, we have NASA in Silicon Valley out at Ames, who uh, helps out with a lot of this stuff on the International Space Station, is doing some cool stuff with Twitch and going live on TV to talk about cool things like playing video games and how video games uh, sort of help us to um, understand components of space and how they inspire others to understand components of space. Very cool stuff that they're doing over there. So this podcast episode was recorded on February 20th, 2018. Thanks to Kathy Reeves, Judy Hayes, Isidro Reina, Kelly Humphreys, and Ryan Stewart. Thanks again to Dr. Andrea Hansen for coming on the show. We'll be back next week.